But if you want to turn to Luke 24, verses 13 uh, to 35, uh, we're going to be picking up where a couple weeks ago we celebrated Easter. Uh, we, we looked at the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, but at this point of the scripture, the people don't really realize it, or not everybody realizes it. And so you find that these two disciples who went to Jerusalem, probably very excited in the first place to celebrate the Passover, are going back to Emmaus. They're, they're taking this seven-mile journey to Emmaus, and they are sad, and they are depressed, and they are down. And, they, and as they're walking, all of a sudden, this, this character, we'll call it, it's Jesus, not really a character, comes walking up beside them and joins them on their trip. And, and things eventually look better. But the thing that I want to point out today is that these guys left Jerusalem sad and depressed, and, and they didn't have to. They did not have to leave Jerusalem feeling sad and depressed uh, because of the events that had taken place. They could have been on the road of hope. The problem with these two guys is that they had all the head knowledge. They knew all these things. We're going to look at the proof that they gave to Jesus for why uh, they should believe. And they really didn't believe. They had all the head knowledge. But the problem was they didn't combine it with faith. And so that's why they're going back to Emmaus completely opposite of the way they should be going. But you know, they're not the only people who do that kind of thing. Uh, Christians do it all the time, all over America these days. Uh, instead of following 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you, uh, instead of believing that God is big enough to handle all my cares, all my worries, and all my situations, I want to hang on to them. I want to worry about them. I want to try to figure out every possible problem and every outcome to every situation. And, I, and so I'm, instead of having this hope and this confidence that God's got it, I'm on this road of depression and this road of stress because I've decided to hang on to it. Uh, instead of following Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says uh, about, um, let me look that up. I'm, I'm, my mind just went blank. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. I know what it talks about, I just don't know exactly. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So instead of going to God and saying, hey, what, how do I handle this situation? And when they see God's answer in God's word, Instead of going with that, they say, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand how that could possibly turn out. So they say, I'm going a different direction. They can have all the hope and all the confidence, but they go a different direction. They want to say, what does man think? They have the road of hope, and they turn to the road of depression instead. Instead of following 1 John 1, 9, and having the confidence that when I screw up, and I admit it to God that he's going to forgive me, uh, people run around with guilt, and they run around with shame for years upon years for some mistake, some sin that they committed in their past. They have two roads. It's the same. It's like walking the same road, but you can look at it differently. The road of defeat or the road of victory. It all depends on how, what do you do with God's word. So we're going to have two disciples on the road of defeat, on the road of despair, when it should be something different. So Luke chapter 13 verses, or, I mean sorry, Luke chapter 24 verses 13 to 19. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you, are, you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? 
And, do, and have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And so they said to him, the things that are concerning Jesus of Nazareth. So you have these two guys. They went to Jerusalem. They went there for the Passover. I'm sure as they were going, they're excited. I, I imagine they know Jesus is going to be there. And they're expecting uh, a, a great celebration. You know when, they, when the, all the people are walking into Jerusalem and they're putting down their palm branches and they're taking out their cloaks for the donkey? Why were they doing all that? Because they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're expecting something great to happen. Jesus is going to somehow overthrow the Roman government and put the nation of Israel back up on top. So I bet as they went down the road to Jerusalem, they were very excited. Everything was great and wonderful in their life. But as they're going back home, they're sad. They're depressed. They, I'm sure that while they're there, they probably witnessed the fact, Jesus walking down the street. Here, this guy that they knew and they had their, all their hope and their confidence in, He's bloody, and he's beaten, and he's trying to make it down the street with his cross, and he's stumbling, and someone else has to pick up his cross and take it the rest of the way. And as they're there, they're thinking, oh, what is going on? This, this Jesus we thought was going to do something is not accomplishing this. And then the last thing that they know is that Jesus is put up on the cross, and they know that Jesus has died. And so they're just in Jerusalem, and when... And when Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon comes, they decide to, they're going to head back on the road to Emmaus. And so they're defeated. They're sad. I'm sure they're thinking, what in the world do we think was going to happen? What did we believe? And as they're walking, Jesus joins them in this journey. And he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Obviously, Jesus knows. And the disciples say, hey, are you the only person in Jerusalem and you don't understand what has taken place? And so while they're, he says, okay, enlighten me. And so what we're going to find here are three reasons why the, these two disciples should have be on the road of hope. They know everything they need to know, but they couldn't combine it with faith, and so they're, they're struggling uh, with, these, with this information. Uh, the first thing we find in verse 19, uh, and he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. So the first thing you have is the life of Jesus. When Jesus was walking around that area for three years, back and forth, uh, he had a great big testimony that the whole world knew about, pretty much, uh, at least in that area. They said he was mighty indeed. What are some of the things that Jesus did? He raised the dead. He fed 5,000 people. He calmed the storm. Uh, he walked on the water. He healed the sick. Numerous miracles Jesus did. And you think something like like uh, raising the dead, for example, is going to be on the, the hush? No. If, if somebody here died and Jesus raised them from the dead, I'm telling everybody in Davenport. I'm telling my friends in South Dakota. I'm telling my friends in North Dakota. And so it's the same kind of thing is going to spread like wildfire. Everybody knew who Jesus was. Everybody knew the kinds of things that he did. So everything Jesus did was proof that he was God. It was proof that he was who we said he was, was who he was. So he's mighty indeed. The second, uh, under the first category of the life of Jesus as a proof for why the disciples should believe, you have mighty indeed, but also mighty in word. Jesus spoke many powerful messages. You have the Sermon on the Mount. You have the teachings in the synagogues. You have when Jesus stood up to the Pharisees. Those kinds of things are going to spread out. Remember when he's in the temple and he was overturning the money changers' tables. And then when Jesus was speaking, everybody was hanging on his words. He was mighty indeed. He was mighty in word. That there should be reason to think that Jesus is going 
to rise again. That Jesus is more than just a man who's going to die on a cross. The second one, the second proof, or the second reason why they should believe, is because of prophecy, because of Old Testament scriptures. Uh, we, we looked a couple weeks ago at Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, and Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 33, where Jesus told his disciples, look, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm going to be put on the cross, I'm going to be punished. And the disciples, they didn't really get that. But I don't think, again, I don't think those disciples kept that to themselves. Other people have heard this. I don't know who has heard this, but I imagine the, the news spreads quickly through those of the followers of Jesus. And you know that, that the bad guys know about this, the Pharisees, because when Jesus died on the cross, they said, you know what, we've heard this prophecy that Jesus said after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. So they made sure that the tomb was all guarded, that it was roped off, that it was sealed, so that nobody could break into that tomb for at least three days. So everybody knows that Jesus is supposed to, to rise from the dead. Let me read this verse since I skipped that part. Um, it says, And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to, the, to be condemned to death and crucified him. So they knew this took place. They, and they, they know, I think, from the background noise that this was what was prophesied, what was supposed to take place. Uh, even from the Old Testament scriptures, because when Jesus, in verse uh, 26 and 27, he takes the Old Testament and he walks through the Old Testament and explains to these two disciples, look, this is the prophecy. This is where it was spoken about that the Messiah was going to die, that he was going to rise again. And he explained through the whole Old Testament as quickly as you probably can in seven miles or uh, uh, about that point of the fact that he was supposed to go through this. Uh, and it was something that these guys had heard, I'm sure, in the synagogue. They had the Old Testament, right? They didn't have the New Testament. All you focused on was one half of the Bible. And so they would know these things. And the thing is, they could check it out as well. In, in, Luke, I mean, in Acts 17, Paul talks about the Bereans. He says they were a more noble character because they checked out to see what Paul said was true. They couldn't open up their Bible and say, okay, yep, what he said is really true, and I'm going to check these other references. They had to... Maybe they could write down on some piece of parchment paper, but they would have to go check out the scroll and see, yes, this is really what the Scripture says. So they had some kind of access to this. And these disciples, I'm sure it would be the same way. So they had the life of Jesus, the testimony about his, the powerful deeds that he did and the powerful words that he said. And they had the prophecy. Everybody knew Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead, even the bad guys. And number three was the testimony of others. This, to me, is the biggest reason why these guys should be believing that Jesus rose from the dead. This is why they should be on the road of hope instead of the road of despair. Uh, about verse 21 and 22, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened, which I really have to back up here a second. Uh, is, it says this is the third day since this has happened. Why would they pick on the third day? They were expecting something to take place on the third day. So they knew the prophecy. They knew what to expect. Well, here's what they did with it. Verse 22 says, Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. 
So you have these disciples. These two disciples are among the, the 11 disciples. When the women come, right? The women come and they're excited. We talked about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. They're trying to drag the disciples back to the tomb to say, look, Jesus is empty. Well, these disciples are there. And they said, we were astonished. We were stunned that the fact that these women came and told us Jesus was missing. Why? I, he said it was going to take place. They were expecting it, and then they wouldn't believe it. Then you could say, okay, well, these are just the women. Sorry, women, back, we mentioned before, back in those days, the testimony of women really didn't matter. Okay, today it does. Okay, women, pat yourself on the back. Your testimony matters, okay? But you had the, the men disciples. You had Peter and John who went to the temple. They came back. You look at all these pieces, you say, what is going on? And it's, it's almost as if Jesus, I don't know why Jesus was, was hidden from them. I don't know why Jesus didn't explain to them exactly who he was. I think the reason that their eyes were hidden from him, because it says that, I think it was because he wanted them to see that you have enough information. You have it all up here. Everything that you could possibly need to be on the road of hope, you have it but they wouldn't combine it with faith. And so they are depressed. That's, they are walking along. So you have the life of Jesus. You have the, the prophecy in the Old Testament. And you have the testimony of others for reasons why they should be on the road of hope. And what does it take for them to finally believe? Verses 28 to 31. It says, And they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. What was it that made them believe? What, what is it that turns the tide? What makes them go from, I'm a sad, depressed person, to all of a sudden, I'm excited, and I'm happy? It's the fact that Jesus broke the bread. Now, what does that have to do with, with anything? You know, was it the fact that Jesus had some special technique to break the bread? And they looked and said, oh, that looks like Jesus. Or is it that they saw the holes in the, his hands? And they said, you know what, this, we put this all together, and finally we're going to put our faith and our confidence in what we saw was really true. Whatever, whatever it was, they finally had the hope that they needed to believe uh, that Jesus finally did rise from the dead. And we ourselves have lots of reasons to believe Jesus rose from the dead. We have lots of reasons to convince other people that the word of God is true, that Jesus, in fact, is alive after he died, that he's still living, that he has an impact in the world today. Everything that you read, we, we saw that, that Jesus was mighty in word and mighty in deed. That was enough that should have convinced those disciples well, we can look at, I can look at myself and say, you know what, I have way more than they do. The, everything Jesus did that's recorded, I have written down. Um, that, that should convince me all the mighty things that Jesus did. They were supposed to convince them. They were supposed to convince me too. All the mighty teachings that Jesus taught, they were supposed to convince them. They are supposed to convince me too. But you won't know those things about his life about his birth, about his death, about his resurrection, about his purpose, if you don't get into the scriptures, if you don't look for yourself and see what's really there. Romans 15.4 is an Awana verse. The things that were written in the past were written for our learning. They were written to teach us through the, the scriptures. We might have hope. 
that God is who he is, that Jesus did what he said he did. We're supposed to have some benefit from this if, we're, if we, because Jesus gave it to us. It wasn't just a, a bedtime story. Uh, it's not just something that's interesting to, to know for a Bible trivia game. It's something that's supposed to impact our life. Last week, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we saw that all Scripture was valuable. Everything in the Old Testament is of value. Everything in the New Testament, the Old Testament's going to take more work. You're going to be learning stories from people's lives, not so black and white specific like the New Testament, but it's all there and it's important. So one reason why we should believe, uh, put our faith in Jesus is because the Scripture says it. One reason what we should use to uh, convince other people that Jesus is who he says he is is the scripture. That's part of why he gave it to us. The second thing is our testimony uh, or the testimony of others. Like my testimony, I should use that in order to help explain or help other people see that Jesus is in fact real because he's made an impact in my life. Uh, your testimony should be used to convince other people that Jesus is really real. That you, this is where I started at. This is where I'm at along the way. And finally, this is where I'm at today. There's a progression of becoming more and more like Jesus. Great opportunity to sing more and more of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Lamar. Right there. He caught that. Okay. Uh, so I want to tell you, you know, uh, Jesus has had an impact in my life. You know, when uh, I, I grew up as a little kid, like every other little kid, I made all these dumb choices like everyone does. And it, it, my mom told me that by the age of five, I prayed to accept Jesus as my Savior. I don't remember being five. I tell Noah the same thing. He goes, I don't remember that. I know going through Sparky's in a one, I was the one kid every week. I'm, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I just want to do that. By the time I was 11, I made sure. I know Jesus. Okay, so I was baptized. But I still kind of like, eh, didn't really do a whole lot until I was 22. And I'm like, okay, from now on, I am going to live for the Lord. And my, my, my walk with the Lord went like this when I turned 22. Like, I'm knowing the scriptures, and I'm really working hard on getting rid of these temptations. So that's what Jesus has done in my life. He, he, I had guilt. You know, I was a kid who always had guilt about the things I did wrong. I knew I wasn't supposed to. That's probably why I kept asking Jesus to save me, because I just didn't want that guilt anymore. Uh, as a kid, I struggle, or even now, let me just start there. I struggle with temptations right now. I want to say things I should not say. I want to do things I should not do. And I pray and ask God to help me. He helps me fight temptation. Okay, so even today... He helps me. If you want to listen to the temptations that I fight, you've got to come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> okay, but he helps me fight temptations in my life today. I've not yet arrived. As a kid, I used to struggle with worry. I don't know how many people here struggle with worry, but as a kid, every day, almost every day, before I went to school in the fourth grade, I threw up. I was so afraid, so nervous, so worried about that, what that day was going to hold. And I had nothing to worry about. I didn't have any bullies. I did fine in school. I had nothing, but I was constantly throwing up every day because I just was so worried. But as I grew up and I started learning what Scripture says, and really it took till I was 22, that's kind of where I put the stamp on my life of I'm going to live for the Lord uh, because Romans 8, 28 and 29 says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And it's like all of a sudden some great big light bulb went off and it says, you know what, bad things might happen to me, but God's still in control of it. Nothing's going to happen outside of God's will. He, he's got a reason for it. And all of a sudden, because of what Scripture says, I went from this worried kid to like, oh, okay, I, I know I can trust God now. Sure, 
I may not like everything that I go through, but God's doing it for my good. His goal is to make me like Jesus. He says, you know what? Uh, getting in that car accident might help you become more like Jesus because I might worry about that. Flunking that test might make you more like Jesus. That difficult person in your family that you have to keep dealing with might make you more like Jesus. I'm like, okay, there's a purpose for this. This isn't just Josh having bad luck or a bad day. God's allowing certain things for a reason. But it's because I saw it in God's word and I said, okay, I'm going to trust you in this, God. I'm going to believe that there is a purpose. And so I was like, I'm a whole lot better off now. It's too bad because I think when you worry, you lose hair. And I think I did all my worrying and then I realized, I mean, after I lost my hair, I realized you, I, anyway. But sometimes you don't make up jokes as you go because they're just not good. Um, but also, God has done miracles, I feel like, in my life, in, in, in modern days, I feel like, uh, as, a, as a reason to show that I should put my trust in God. My mom had a tumor in her leg. Uh, this was some years ago. And I didn't know what benign meant. And I didn't know what malignant meant. And so I'm on the prayer chain calling everybody and saying, yeah, my mom has a tumor and they think it's malignant, which is cancer, right? Is that right? Okay, thanks, because I still don't know. And so I'm calling everybody and I'm like, oh, this is totally fine. And the doctor who is looking at my mom has been a doctor for years. And looking at the results, he's thinking, this is cancer. I mean, hopefully we can get rid of this, uh, but it's cancer. And then the next day, the doctor is shocked because it was malignant, or it was benign. It was not cancerous. And I look at that and say, you know what? People can argue and say the doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. I look and say, you know what? I think my God did a miracle in my mom's life. Um, this guy that I used to work for drilling wells, his name was Troy Tarbert. And he, I remember when he got saved uh, about four years ago, I didn't believe it. You know, his wife and his kids were always telling him about Jesus. And I thought, this is the kind of guy who I can keep telling you over and over. And he'll finally say, okay, fine. I'll pray your little prayer. Leave me alone just to keep you happy. But then when I saw Troy, there was like this huge difference in his life. He had the joy of the Lord. He gave me this hug, and he's like, I got it now. I understand. And then I watched for the next two or three years as his life went from this way completely this way. And I thought, there is no way this guy's ever going to get saved. Uh, he's healthy. He's strong. He's got this great business. He's got lots and lots of this. He's got lots of money. He's got lots of land. I mean, he doesn't live like he's super rich, but... I mean, you, you think of those big ranchers out there that's got acres and acres of land. That's what he is there. He's got uh, farm after farm all hooked up, and he's, he can completely buy whatever he wants, acres and mountains and hills and everything. Uh, so you would think there's no way. But my God says, you know what, I'm going to save this guy anyway. And so I just look and say example after example of why I need to believe and why I need to have confidence and God, and, and who he is, and what he can do, because he has proved it to me. And I'm sure, looking out here, and even the people who aren't here, they have, they're 100% confident in who God is. And they say, I can, I can think of the day I got saved, I can think of opportunities where God has proved himself, and they, they walk around completely trusting scripture, like it's no big deal, like, yep, it's just a natural thing to do. But I bet there are people who aren't like that. They say, you know what, I really am not sure that I can trust scripture. I'm not really sure about this Jesus. I'm not really sure about, uh, about everything that I read and what I hear from you or what I hear from my, my Sunday school teacher. And I understand that. Scripture, some of it is hard to believe. Uh, you know, you think about these two disciples. They had the prophecy of what was supposed to take place. They heard Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead, and then his body was gone. 
and they couldn't wrap their minds around that. But what we need to do is to know what this says, but we have to combine it with faith. We just have to live or die. I'm going to put my faith in it and what it says and live by it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, there's another, there's another story about this we're going to look at in a couple weeks about Thomas. Anybody know who Doubting Thomas is? I would be a great Doubting Thomas. Um, he was not there when Jesus appeared to 10 of the disciples. One, Judas has already killed himself. Thomas, for some reason, is not there. And all these disciples are convinced, and they spend a whole week trying to, to convince Thomas that Jesus rose from the dead. And Thomas says, unless I stick my hands or fingers in his hands, my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe it. And so he got something special. Jesus showed up and said, hey, look, dude, stick your fingers here, <laughs> stick your hand there, and you're going to have proof. And Jesus, and then Thomas says, okay, I get it. I believe it. And I think Jesus is thinking, duh, anybody would. He says, blessed, you, you see and you believe it. I'm glad. He says, but blessed are those people who haven't seen it, and they still believe it, which counts you, and it counts me, because I have never seen Jesus. I never stuck my hands there, but I said I'm going to believe what his word says. And if you say that doesn't describe you, I'm not the person who's going to put my faith in that just because you tell me to. I want to encourage you to do three things. The first is to read his word, to even know what does the scripture say. You know, a lot of people get convinced just by reading what the Bible says. They'll read through the Gospels, and they'll see that what Jesus did is really true. So read it. Just see what it says. Number two, ask God to reveal himself to you while you read it. If you're a real God, please help me to see it. Not like defiant, like prove it, God, but like humbly. Like, God, I really want to know this. Help me to get it. And number three is talk to people that you know that they say, I'm a Christian. Just ask them about their testimony. Say, why do you believe this? What makes you so confident in this? And see what they said. But ultimately, you have to know it comes down to faith. You've got to decide, I'm all in or I'm all out, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And so we have these disciples. They're on the road to defeat, and just right around the corner, they're on the road to victory because finally they have proof. Verses 32 to 35. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us? He talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they rose up, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about all the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them by the breaking of the bread. All of a sudden, we go from totally on the bottom of the, the, the emotional to the opposite, the excited. And these disciples get it. They, they finally see that it's true. So what do they do? They turn around and they hightail it back to Jerusalem. And it says it's almost evening when they get there. So what happens when it gets to be evening? It gets darker and it gets darker till finally it's completely dark. But these, these two people, whoever they are, uh, Cleopas and his companion, say we're going back to Jerusalem. And, I, and it's dark, and you've got to worry about lots of things. You know, you've got to worry about the terrain. You know, I hope it was a full moon so that you can see the terrain. You've got to worry about bandits. You've got to worry about wild animals, ditches, and holes in the ground uh, because they didn't have flashlights. They just had God-given light, and that's all you got. And they hightailed it back to Jerusalem. They risked it all because they had hope. They finally saw what was really true, and their lives were changed and accordingly. And they said, we are going to go and share the good news with others. So the first thing I want to say is, you know what? We have the good news. We should have the proof in Jesus and what his word says, what he's done in our life, the testimony of other people. 
And we need to go share that with other people. And so I want you to think about when you're on the road again, when you're walking down the halls to school, to your classroom, when you're driving down the road to work, that you're on a destination. And when you get to your destination, what are you going to do there? Find some way to share the good news uh, with those who need to hear the good news of Jesus' salvation. Might even just be a reminder that, you know what, Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. But you've got to know, what are you going to tell them? Do you have the scripture that you can give them to show that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead? Uh, do you have the courage to share your testimony, to, to say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is what my life was before Christ. These are the things that he's accomplished in my life since that point I put my faith in him to where here I am today, and this is why I have confidence. And then pray and ask God to open up their eyes, because we do not save anybody. All we can do is be that light. We can say those words, but it's all up to God. We plant, someone else waters, but God makes it grow. And then the other thing we want, I want to encourage you to do is to share the good news of the scripture with other people. Maybe that sounds like the same thing. One, you're telling them salvation, but you, you could do this for each other. Because what did those disciples do? Did they go back to uh, Jerusalem and start witnessing to, their, to the disciples? No. They didn't say, hey, you got Jesus, you got to believe in Jesus. They said, no, here's the facts. Jesus rose from the dead. And they started to try to convince the disciples of what they, what they knew, what they believed. And so we can do that for each other. We can try to convince each other of, of how to handle situations that they're in. So when you know one of your, your family members or friends doubting their salvation, you can tell them verses like John 10, 27, 29. It talks about, uh, about us being sheep and how no uh, my, my sheep are my voice, I know them, and they follow me. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So you can say, you know what? You can't lose your salvation because you can't snatch yourself out of God's hands. You might know that yourself, but you can encourage somebody else with that verse. As somebody you know is having a hard time with dealing with forgiveness because they have done X, Y, Z, they feel like it's unforgivable, they feel like it's the biggest offense in the world and God couldn't possibly, you say 1 John 1, 9. If you confess it, you tell God you did it, you tell him you're sorry that you did it, He'll forgive you. The, the slate is wiped clean. Psalms 103 talks about how our sins is separated from the east as far as the, from the west. That's how much God separates us from our sin. You know these words, you can encourage other people. You know somebody's dealing with worry. 1 Peter 5, 7 talks about cast all your anxiety, all your worries on the Lord because he cares for you. You can trust him and you can pass these words along to other people. And maybe that describes you. Maybe you're the person who says, you know what, I, I know what the Bible says. I know this is what Scripture says, but I cannot find the strength to do it. I cannot. Uh, you'd rather worry instead of give it to God. You'd rather choose what you want instead of doing what God wants. You'd rather carry around this guilt instead of going with God's forgiveness. I know what that's like. I know that's a tough place to be. You, you, you want to get rid of it, but you just can't seem to do it. I find myself there from time to time, but we have to stop walking down this road of defeat, this road of despair, and we have to over and over and over just immediately give it back to God, give it back to God and experience uh, the, the victory, the, the confidence that we're supposed to have. Take God at his word. He says if you confess it, he'll forgive you. If we're lacking wisdom, we can ask God and he'll give it to us. Whatever situation you're in, there's something in the scripture that you just have to know it, and you just have to believe it, and you just got to give it to God. And 
it, it's just the way it is. You just got to choose, I'm all in or I'm all out. You just got to choose to trust God to do what he says he's going to do. And then you got to live your life accordingly. That works for salvation. If you need Jesus, you just got to take him at his word that he will save you if you just ask him to. And if you struggle with some area in your life, you just got to give it to him and trust God that he's going to do his part if we just do ours and give it to him. You have two options. Every day, every path that you go down, whether you're at school, whether you're out on a, a walking trail, whether you're out on a ranch, you could be on the road of defeat because I'm, I'm worried about this, I'm struggling with this, or you can be on the road of hope because you know that God has it. God's in control. God says in his word, I'm just giving it to him. I can't handle it anymore, right? I don't want to, but the choice is yours, the road of defeat or the road of hope. And I want to encourage you to take the road of hope. Take God at his word and just trust him to accomplish what he said he'll do. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you are patient. God, you know how many times that I have worried that I have given you uh, things in life and taken them right back because I think I need to figure it out. God, I know that there's always wisdom that you give, and I know sometimes I struggle to take your wisdom because I, I just don't know how it's going to turn out. God, and it's hard to, to trust that you're going to work things out step by step. Uh, but God, I know that you are good and you are patient. God, I thank you for your word that we can have the hope uh, by the things that you've done, hope by the things that you've said. And I pray that you would help each of us as we go down the roads that A, we remember to share you with people, and B, we'd be, we'd be remembering to encourage other people by what your word says as well. But we'd also put that into practice for our own lives. God, I pray for anybody here who wants help with that, that you would bless them uh, with the ability to do a better job. And for those who aren't here, God, I just pray that you'd be their source of strength and their hope uh, as well today. In Jesus' name, amen.